Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. I'm Dan Mangan. I am from Vancouver, BC, Canada. Uh, I've put out six full records, some soundtracks for TV and film. I also have a music startup that founded in uh, co-founded in 2017. Welcome to the music. Welcome, 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 welcome. Perfect. Thanks, Dan. It's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to have you join us today on the show. Um, so thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to start out with the song "Fire." I think I think we could actually spend the entire hour uh, on "Fire Escape," the the song, the video, and everything else. But um, it's funny when I was. Uh, I want to talk about the song first and then get to the video, but I, I heard it described, I can't remember where, as music for the depressed post-pandemic millennials. Or so, it was just like, <laughs> but, but it's it's so, like, I'm, I'm so conflicted with the song. It's so good, but I'm so conflicted with the song. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about the song and then let's jump into the video? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the song was written June 2020. So if you can kind of place yourself... We were in the heart of like George Floyd outrage protests, um, and everyone was sort of like it was starting to sink in that like this lockdown was going to last a while, and uh, so there's this too this sort of like very um, dissonance going on where you've got the world exploding outside your front window, uh, and people are in the streets and they're upset, rightfully so, um, and then internally in your own world you know it's imploding so there's this like exploding and imploding all at the same time very uncertain time and i feel like there was a lot of articulation going on a lot of listening i feel like particularly a lot of white people were trying to understand the ways that they were aloof or maybe unknowingly sort of um benefiting from an unjust society and so there's like the pandemic, there's sort of like the uncertainty. And then there's this sort of feeling that like, oh man, well, if only somebody could articulate, you know, the, this complex thing just so, then we'd all understand it. And boy, can't, then we could get beyond it, you know, and we can evolve as a society. And of course, that's sort of part of the discourse that is what we do, but it takes so much more than that, you know, and um so there's like the line in there, you know, what is it that I want to say? What is it that I really want to say? You know, what are the words I've been choking on, hoping someone will articulate? It's like, um, just it, it it sort of feels like, well, certainly somebody should be able to fix this. Uh, not me, you know, I, I got, I, I could never do, I could never fix this, but somebody should. And, um, and so there's that it's, you know, and also like meet me on the fire escape, um, it's like a, I need some. I need a familiar kinship. I need. I need someone whose voice I recognize who can immediately calm me down. It, it, and that could be a pandemic thing. Meet me out on the fire escape. But it could also be like a party thing. Like, you know, alone in a sea of people. Uh, I, I need a familiar sort of um, presence or something. Like, let's get out of here. Meet me on the fire escape. We're gonna get out of here. Um, 
and so that I, I feel like as as though though it was a slightly pandemic song when I wrote it, um, it doesn't feel, and and many of these songs are I I, I intentionally did not. I didn't want the, the the album to feel like it was locked in a pandemic or that it couldn't live beyond it. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm tapping into these feelings and these sort of like, uh, you know, facets of existence that was during the pandemic, I didn't want them to feel, I wanted it to feel more timeless than that. And so my hope is that you can listen to the song and feel those things without being like, oh, it's another pandemic song. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> Like I said, I just I, I I'm I, not conflicted because it's a great song and I I, I love it. it. It just uh, I don't know. It's just it's just like for for me, it's almost like an angst that's then alleviated or lifted or anyway. I just like mm. and, and well, that's song I mean, build. It's just so well done. So, well, thank you. I mean, I that is that's life, right? Like it's it, like. Like uh, growing up is like learning to be okay with sometimes just walking around sort of sad, <laughs> you know, <Yes>. for no <laughs> reason. And you're like, well, what's what's wrong? You know, like nothing's wrong. My life's amazing. I'm nothing. Um, but I, I think that the song there is a levity to the song. There is a lightness to yeah. it. You know, there is sort of like, and that that again, like that's the comfort of of that kinship. And I think that if there's anything, if there's a message behind this record is like caring is okay. And, mm -hmm. you know, we can, we can be vulnerable. We can be uh, empathetic. We can, um, that there is strength in that, that that is, I think somehow in the conversation, you know, as, as society sort of polarizes to the left and to the right, there's this sort of sense that like you would rather everybody lose than the other team get a win. Mm -hmm. And, um, this sort of idea that like, God, we can't, we can't, can't take a concession of, of, of an inch because the other team's going to take a mile. Um, and so I think that the, this record is, it, I just, I want it to feel like a safe and I want it to feel like, like we can, we can be vulnerable and we're not like, no one's going to stab you. No one's going to pierce you. And if they do, well, doesn't that show their own, inadequacy you know hmm. that they are they are they are so uh un, unwilling to be to be soft uh whereas anyone the coolest people i know like the very coolest people i know are pretty tender people yeah you know yeah. uh somebody who's like putting on a machismo that shit gets old when you're like 24 like you know i, I got no time for that um it's just not interesting or it, it, it's, it's weak. That's the, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. People who put on like a false bravado are weak people. And that is, that is the, that is like one of the truest things that I've come to know as I get older. Hmm. That's really that's interesting. You say that I'm curious if you ever think about, you, you, you know, you talk about, you know, showing a caring side, you know, is, is actually showing strength. Um, and I don't know why I, I think of, um, you know, algorithms, whether it's a social media algorithm, whether it's a streaming algorithm, but, you know, algorithms come into my head when, when you say these things, um, because it's like, you know, we've heard over the past few years that um, conflict sells. 
Uh, conflict drives usage. Conflict, you know, drives engagement. Um, as a musician, as an artist, do, do you ever think about things like that and how can that help you get mm -hmm. more plays or streams versus the things the way you want to the way you as a as a human being as an artist want to say things mm -hmm. and what does that mean for for clicks and streams i'm curious if if that ever comes into your mind all the time yeah mm -hmm. i mean i i feel like i've always been slightly out of step with the zeitgeist um and slightly misunderstood or something maybe that's just a universal feeling maybe most artists feel that way but i think that you know like i i want the world to hear these songs i'm on TikTok. i'm throwing shit at the wall constantly trying to see what sticks yeah and i've had a few videos really pop on on TikTok, and i've seen when the algorithm sort of goes your way and what a drug that is like your notifications are just like there's a little thing once you get beyond 99 new notifications on TikTok, it just says 99 plus. And it gets to it when the algorithm is in your favor and it's like really popping off and you're, you're getting like literally like between five and 50 new followers, like every 20 seconds. And it's just like this stream of like, and you get this little 99 plus. And every time you see that 99 plus in your notifications, it's like a little dopamine hit of like, it's working. They like me, you know? Um, which is terrifying. Like, you know, it's just like what a drug it is and how addictive that is. And it makes you want more. And so what happens is like, okay, we know that when it comes to clicks, when it comes to getting attention online, the things that truly transcend are like the things that cut to the bone. Like whether that's just dumb, silly, stupid, or raw, vulnerable real you know the first video that okay. i ever posted that went crazy was a video of my of my sister-in-law surprising my sister after two years of not seeing them on her birthday and she just breaks down and she's crying and the video was just mm. went bananas on the front page of reddit and stuff like that and of course i was like of course it has nothing to do with my music you know <laughs> um, but um but that that is because the second like not even the second the millisecond that we get the sense somebody is promoting something to us we yeah. disengage mm -hmm. and so you know like i think like in the 40s and the 50s when you know the madmen were really honing in on like marketing psychology people were naive to it because it was kind of new like yeah. we hadn't been indoctrinated and, and but today like not even you like like people who are like 12 or 15 years old they have such an acute sense of when they're being advertised to it is like a seventh sense yeah it is unbelievable and the second something feels like an ad or a promo it's cringe right it's like gone swipe out of here and so the things that really work online are things that are raw and real and emotional and cut to the bone but have this sort of like deeply accidentally compartmentalized promotion in them and so the very best TikTokers, the very best social media influencers or whatever, are the people who can do both at the same time. Mm. And that's a skill that most people over 40 just can't really possess because they didn't grow up or surrounded by it. 
Um, and so, you know, the, but there's, there's this constant battle, this push pull between, okay, I got to post as often as I can because I want people to hear my music. I know my music is fucking good. Like I put a lot of time into it and I've been doing this a long time and I've listened to a lot of music and I know that my music, in my opinion, is better than most other music. So I think everybody should hear it. And so it's now my duty as wearing my business hat to try and get as many people to hear it as possible. And there's like this push pull of the business brain and the art brain. And you have to almost like, when you're working on the art, you need to disengage. You need to get the hell away from social media. You need Mm -hmm. to go into the cabin, into the woods and get lost in a rabbit hole and be completely invisible to the world. And then when it's ready, you know, you got to try and be as visible as possible. Now, some people are able, again, some people can like make content while they're in the studio. I'm, that's like the last thing I want to do. I want to get lost, you know? So it's tricky. It's really tricky. And to be honest, it's, it's hard. And I don't feel like I'm, I feel as big feelings of inadequacy to be completely honest yeah. about it. Um, yeah. And uh, I just want, I just want lots of people to hear this music. And um, I feel like not enough are. And that's a really, it, it's a crappy place. It's it's a crappy place psychologically to be coming at anything is this feeling of like scarcity or, you know, not abundance. Um, so, you know, I, when I'm, when I'm in a, in the middle of a good day, I, I'm not worried about any of this, but nice. on the bad days, you know, that's, yeah. that's when it, that's when it gets to you. Good to yeah, you. Fair, fair enough. Um, are, are you finding within the TikTok community, the fans leveraging your music? Like I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of what happened with mother, mother and Hayloft over the pandemic, right? Well, that mm. just uh, absolutely exploded. Um, are, are you finding with, as people are finding your music, then they're repurposing it for their own I mean, I, I feel like I haven't hit a true critical mass okay. like that. Um, like I've, I've, I've yet to see someone of like true influence on TikTok use one of my songs or anything mm. like that. Okay. Uh, or, or like, and that, that's the other thing. TikTok is so video centric and not creator centric that like, I haven't even seen one video using my music go viral even if it's from somebody who has you know seven followers which happens on tiktok you have people who have like a hundred followers and they have a video with a million views um so that hasn't happened for me and you know god that'd be nice i mean the crazy thing about hayloft was it was from their second record you know 15 years ago and it was and and mother mother wasn't even on tiktok when it popped that's how special and unique and rare that is and everyone in the industry is like looking at that mother mother situation going like oh my god how do we engineer that for our artists (laughs) and you can't that's like perfect storm shit you just can't you can't get there uh you know by engineering it's just all you can do all the time is try and like line everything up with as much integrity as possible Mm -hmm. and when no one pays attention to it you just have to try again and try again and try again and then you know if you're lucky every now and then you'll get a little hit um and the funny thing is that like i I think that there's a lot of artists who are sort of disdain at tiktok and disdain at the Mm -hmm. modern music industry and "Ah, i don't want to do that it's all garbage and but no matter if it was in the 60s or now 
every artist has used the tools available them available to them mm-hmm. when i was getting going and like i booked my first tour using myspace that was the tool that was available then if yeah. i was 21 right now you bet your ass would be using TikTok, and i yeah i think that that there's a little bit of like you know old old man yelling at the wind kind of thing about that it's like ah oh, it's it the things used to be better than they are and they they never were they were never better they might have been you know simpler for you to comprehend and you were younger and had a more open you know i don't know like the past was never simpler there's never a moment that was simpler than today and it might have been simpler because you were a child and you saw the world through a child's eye yeah. and as you got older you gained capacity for understanding complexity and uh so it became more complex and that's just you know yeah that's my kids like the world's pretty simple to them you know yeah yeah you you talked about you know old man yelling at the wind and uh i think you know greg and i are you know to some to 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 your your kid that was uh just you know side of the screen there you know where greg and i are old men um and and we've talked to to people about you know concerts and touring and the challenges from both a fan uh you know accessing you know live music uh at an affordable price versus you know as a musician as an artist uh being able to actually make money touring Mm -hmm. and there's been articles that have been written uh in canada in the states and around the world about artists having issues uh making proper livable income yeah. touring when everyone has been saying yeah okay social media is here people are listening to music and you know paying 9.99 a month um yeah touring is where the money is and then we hear artists aren't making money touring um you and know then you hear then you hear the pandemic's over everything's fine and musicians are like the pandemic no, yeah well i mean i've done two like kind of two tours since the pandemic i've done a bunch of like little one-offs and weekends and stuff but two proper tours that lasted like a few weeks you know uh one in canada and one in europe the canadian tour lost money uh mostly because six out of nine of us got covid and there was you know an extra 10 fifteen thousand dollars of like having this person up at a hotel for an extra five days in their own room and this person's in another hotel if for five days in their own room at different times and then flying them to catch up with the bus the bus bus is more expensive fuel is more expensive hotel rooms instead of being you know 100 to 250 dollars are now 200 to 400 dollars everything is just twice as much as it used to cost um so there's you know the cost but and yet ticket prices I'm kind of the same. Like my, my ticket price pre-pandemic is not more. I mean, was not less than it is now. You know, my ticket price is sort of thirty-five to fifty bucks or whatever. You know, it's the same now as it was then, and we're like scared to raise it. You know, because um, you don't want to, and because you know there's going to be taxes and fees, and you yeah. don't want to price people out. And you know that people are stretched, and you're trying to sell tickets, and so I mean in both instances of both of these tours one lost money one kind of just barely broke even um there is you have to think like is touring not a viable 
model. Like, is it just not viable unless you can pack the rooms? And the only way you can pack rooms is if you have a huge following. And, you know, I know people who have gotten kind of blown up, like bedroom songwriters who have become through the pandemic. No. And like, as the pandemic was ending, they were like, I've never played a show. Like, you know, and yet they had a million followers on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Um, and so I think that that is sort of becoming a model. They're like most agents and promoters and labels will not work with someone unless their sort of concept is already proven in the market, which is social media. It's like, if social media doesn't like you, then how am I going to sell tickets to your shows? How could I possibly do that? If you haven't proven that the world already likes it through social media. Now you, what they used to do is develop artists and get them on the road with support acts and all that stuff. Support acts are very hard to come by. Um, it's so tricky. It's so hard. And so I think more and more what's going to happen is that you're going to have these artists that basically don't tour like their first tour is going to be at, at like a, a club that holds a thousand people. Like that's going to be their first shows because they're like, why would I, I mean, they'll play around or like, why would they tour and lose money before they're huge already? And it's like a weird, the whole model has like basically flipped upside down. Um, but the industry doesn't want to work with anyone who doesn't have a following. It's just why, why would they take on that risk? Hmm. I think I think that's an excellent segue into your startup side hmm. door. Um, fascinating business model. Um, I remember when I, I think I, I I first heard about it a while ago, and then just sort of out of out of sight, out of mind. And then when, with you joining us today, I sort of came back to it. And I I I I, I think of. What comes to mind is there's a place, my family's up on the Manitoulin, um, there's a place in Minamoya called Maya's, and she has concerts every once a week or twice a week. And it's just in her garden, and she makes dinner, and you know, my mom and my wife love to go to it, and it's just chill and that kind of thing. And, and it reminded me of that sort of Maya's experience. So can you share with us a bit about, for people that don't know about Side Door? Of course, yeah. <clears throat> so it's a it's a marketplace for the arts where any space is a venue. So you can liken it to Airbnb for concerts. Um, essentially, you can create a profile for your backyard, your garden, your living room, your warehouse, your bookstore, any space. You connect directly with the artists in the platform. You build shows together. You can create unique revenue splits for the tickets that you sell. Uh, and after the show, everybody gets paid their split, their cut automatically dispersed into their bank account. So it's basically like a... Um, it's, it's a hub, you know, where, where artists and people who are interested in hosting can uh, find each other. Uh, and, and, and as an artist, you know, when I was first getting going, I played a lot of house concerts. And it was amazing because, you know, rather than spending $150 on a hotel room and getting paid $50 to, you know, or a burger and a beer kind of thing, um, you would walk away with like five or 600 bucks because everyone would throw a 20 in the hat, you know, and... Mm -hmm. It's like, man, I'm making more money playing to 30 people in a living room than I would in a bar because there's just no overhead. And most of the people who host these kinds of events aren't doing it for money. They want the artists to get paid. So it was a really amazing way to sort of make a living uh, with a very small following uh, when I first started out. 
but it was hard to find those hosts and you can't find them on Google. It was all word of mouth. You had to know somebody who knew somebody. Um, so as you know, I, in 2017, I, I co-founded this company with my friend, Laura, and she had been hosting this amazing house concert series in Halifax. And we just sort of clicked over this, this shared love of it and had this kind of shared idea. We both kind of came at the idea separately through our own ways. She was in the music industry. Um, and so it, it, it all kind of came together and we got funding and, it's I never, ever expected that I would be in startup world, but, you know, we're a venture backed company. I probably pitched like 60 like venture capital firms and another 200 like angel investors and over the course of six, seven years. Um, and we had to learn all the vernacular and the business strategy and all that stuff. You have to prove your concept and how it one day will make billions of dollars and it's a crazy whole other world, but also is not that different from building a following, you know, like as an artist, you need, you need a team, right? You need a manager and an agent and publicist and a label. And as a startup co-founder, you need investors and you need, you know, you need to advisors and you need staff. And so you assemble these teams and then, you know, as a, as an artist, you're trying to gain followers, you know, or, or fans or people who listen to your music. It's not that different than trying to get users on your platform. So there's a lot between these two worlds that are sort of copacetic and, and my brain having sort of proved myself in one arena is, you know, uh, if, if it gave me some, I don't want to say credibility, but sort of like a, a starting point to, to do so in this, in the tech world, but crazy yeah. experience. Where, uh, where are we okay. today, Dan, in terms of, of usage and, yeah, like, do you know how often it's being used? Like, where is it available? Yeah. So there's about um, 6,000 artists on there. Wow. And about 3,000 spaces in North America, mostly in North America, majority in Canada, but the U.S. side is growing pretty quickly. Um, there's like little touches of it in Europe um, and Australia, but mostly mostly North America. Mm -hmm. um, and basically right now, I mean, the, the sort of method by which people find each other is this thing called a show call, which is where you broadcast your availability. So if you're an artist, you say, I'm going to be in Baltimore looking for a show and within, you know, a radius of Baltimore between June 16th and June 21st. Um, and then all the hosts in Baltimore will get a notification saying so-and-so is looking for a show. Um, but then you can also take that show call and post it on socials or put it in your newsletter or whatever. And fans, can be like, oh, I'll host that, you know, and then they can sort of, we onboard them through the process of, of you know, they can build a profile and, and contact the artist directly and, you know, kind of say, I'm looking to, I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to host or whatever. Um, so it's, it's working. I want to say, I wish it was working faster and better. Um, mm. Because that's just, you know, there's a, we have like a, a finite amount of resources mm -hmm. to pay a staff to run this company. And we need to prove that this could not only work for a couple, you know, 6,000 artists, but 600,000 artists or 6 million artists could use this platform um, because that's how you get more funding. And then that's how you develop the platform further. And then, you know, it's this like sort of wheel that you keep turning. Yeah. Hopefully, and hopefully it grows and grows and grows. Um, but that's, you know, that's what Bandcamp has done. That's what uh, Patreon has done or Substack or whatever, you know, all these companies. Um, you're constantly just proving that you're worth a little bit more investment. Um, and then 
you know, hopefully that investment helps you make the platform even better so you can mm -hmm. prove yourself to more people. Have, have it, it's interesting because I, I saw on the site, uh, I know Alan Cross has posted some of his shows. Um, and, and, uh, it, like, has, has there been any look at moving towards like, author not moving towards but but including authors and that yeah i mean there's, there's certainly nothing in the tech that limits yeah things to just music that's right? what i was wondering yeah. when i saw alan on there yeah yeah music is the most immediate most obvious mm -hmm. thing but sure. uh, yeah there's comedians there's uh, i mean in alan's case it's genius because alan could do like a soft cedar tour across canada but it would be very expensive um he'd have to charge a lot of money um, and he would have to come up with like a big presentation. He'd have to develop a big show to make it worth people's money. People know who he is and they want to hear stories about music biz. So what Alan's been doing, which is so smart, he does shows in people's living rooms and, you know, people's backyards and stuff like that. Most of the time, there's not even a PA. They're small enough. There's just like 30 people or whatever. And he just kind of chit chats, sits in the middle or whatever. People ask questions and He'll just tell stories and stories and stories. And he's like an encyclopedia, right? So as soon as you start asking questions, it just funnels more and more and more stories. Yeah. Um, and it's it's amazing. So he's, you know, he sells tickets for 20, 30 bucks a pop. He'll go, um, you know, play like, an, not a play, but he'll go and speak like an hour out of Toronto, like Brampton or something like that. Mm -hmm. And sell it out. Everyone will have an amazing time. He makes like, you know, maybe a couple thousand bucks sleeps in his own bed that night. Mm -hmm. And like the cost of a tour, he doesn't have to worry about it. He doesn't have to cost, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, it's very, very low overhead, high reward for everyone involved. And it's just, it's good money and it's, and it's fun for him. He enjoys it and people love it. Like the reviews from these events are amazing because it's so intimate, right? You're right. You're sitting in a room with them and you can ask them all these questions about how Chris Martin wrote the song yellow or whatever. It's like, um, it's it's pretty cool and Sidor is sort of a perfect platform for any kind of artist who wants to do things off cycle or do things sort of like a, with low risk you know when you when you stage a tour and you put shows on for sale there's this sort of like oh god we gotta really gotta do this in these shows often you get a lot of help from the host selling to their community and their colleagues and their family and friends and neighbors um and it's pretty low stakes, you know, it's low risk. You can kind of do things really low cost. And um, there, our, our whole footprint, like our, our whole, sorry, our whole sort of philosophy, uh, we have this saying outside door, like, if your footprint cannot be wide, let it be deep, like a fox paw in the snow. It's like, you know, if you can't sell a thousand tickets and fill a theater, have the most memorable night possible with 40 people. And uh, as an artist who's, you know, getting going, it's it's great because it allows you to leave like a lasting impact. Even if it's small, it's still powerful. You know, it can still be of great value. Yeah, sure. That is interesting. You know, we've, Greg and I have been so fortunate over the past few years to have artists play. I, I remember the first artist that, that we asked, Okan, um you know cuban um cuban music greg that would be a proper world, world but yeah yeah, yeah. Cuban, and 
they just had some instruments hanging behind them. And I said, hey, can you play something? And they looked at each other and said, hey, can we do an acapella? I said, sure. Um, and they performed for, I don't know, two, three minutes. And I told Greg after the taping, I said, that's like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just two of us. And yeah. we just got like a private concert, you know, it was only two minutes long, but it, like you said, creates something memorable. Mm -hmm. um, and I drove from East end of Toronto all the way downtown uh, to buy and pick up their album just because of that two minute experience. experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like there's been situations where I, like I played a show in Brackendale in which is just outside of squamish tiny little town maybe like two thousand people live there and played at this little cafe there's maybe like 20 people there this is early days maybe 2006 or so and um you know had a great time and then like a year and a half later i get an email from someone who is at that show who is starting a new radio station in vancouver loved the show and wants to know if I could like write a letter of support for their like license, you know, to the CRTC. And then I ended up playing the opening gala event of that radio station. It was called wow. the peak here in Vancouver. Uh, and then they started playing my music and it was like, you know, I had no idea who that somebody in that crowd was going to like, you know, be able to really help my career in this tiny little town, this little cafe. Same thing. I was playing at South by Southwest. And, you know, playing a showcase, there's barely anybody there, maybe 20, 30 people. And I found out afterwards that the executive director of the festival happened to walk in and see my show. And I just ran into him at a party later on that night and he was saying lots of nice things. And like Elijah Wood was at one of my shows there. I never saw him, but like, you just, you never know. Like you really never know. And so like the size of something very rarely dictates the quality in terms of live shows, you know? Um, some of my favorite shows that I've played or have been to have been tiny little shows. Um, but then also there's something, you know, the magnitude of a huge show is pretty special of, too. Of so. course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Dan, speaking of, of live performances, um, love to ask you to, uh, to perform something. Is, is there sure, a, yeah. a song you'd like to? Yeah. Uh, okay. just happened to have a guitar here. <laughs> uh, Look at that. Oh, uh, I should do something from the new record. Um, I could do Just Know It, or I, or I could do Fire Escape, if that's uh, yes. that uh, on your that. list. Yeah, let's do Fire Escape. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, this the recording of this doesn't have any guitar. So here's a version that's only guitar. Meet me out by the fire escape It's been 40 nights, 40 days And I become uncertain in a cosmic way I chewed my fingers to the bone today Oh, won't you come around Meet me by the fire escape Untie this tight tongue that I want to say? Is it that I really want to 
say What other words I've been choking on Open someone while I take you late Oh no, that's some murky water Alright, we're in trenches now I don't know when the party's over All I know is I'm getting out somehow Oh, what a fever dream Meet me out by the fire escape Join the procession down the alleyway Oh, our freedom's a joke We got debts to pay How many waves until the levee breaks Oh, won't you come around Meet me by the fire escape Untie this tight that we want to say is it that we really want to say but are the truths we've been choking on open someone I'll articulate oh no that's some murky water alright we're in the trenches now I don't know how the story ends cause the pages just turn over and then turn over again Redemption's always out of sight and just around the bend And the outcome doesn't match with what it is that I intend Like a stack of books that grows and gathers dust beside the bed Or the disconnect between what people do and what they've said And I wanna read the news maybe without losing my head Oh, what a fever dream Uncertain in a cosmic way I chewed my fingers to the bone today Wow Hey, hey. Wow. Thank you Right on Thank you Thank you, thank you oh. Wow Pleasure wow. A little take it back Thank you That was great <laughs> uh, So appreciate that uh, I've got We've got like we're down to like 13 minutes, and I got a whole bunch of questions. So I'm gonna try to figure okay. out which ones I want to pull out. One of the ones, and it's pulling back the TikTok because I saw it. Not that I'm on TikTok, even though he keeps keeps telling me I got to get on TikTok and Snap and everything else, but I'm not because uh, I'm old and yelling at the clouds. Uh, the story. I hope you don't mind sharing it. The story of Paul McCartney. I saw this video <laughs> and I was like. Oh my God! People need to hear this. So, do do you mind quickly sharing sure, yeah. that? Sure. Yeah, I I was in Los Angeles recording uh, my not this last record, but the one before called More or Less, and um, uh, we'd done a day in the studio. I went 
to this faux restaurant afterwards and parked my rental car in front of the faux restaurant. And I was like looking at the car the whole time, but I went to the washroom at one point. That must've been what happened, but the car was broken into and um, window was smashed. Everything was stolen. Like my hard drives, my bag, my passport, my lap laptop, everything, except luckily for my guitar, which was too big to fit through the window. Um, so the, the next morning I, you know, I'm racing around to making a statement with the LAPD and like wandering around under the bridge, you know, close to there, like asking homeless people about my bag and just trying to, you know, find it. And I, my passport was in there. So I had to go to the Canadian consulate. It was just like the craziest morning. And I did like, my phone was dying. <laughs> like it was just, and so I'm all frazzled. Um, but we get to the studio and uh the joey warunker and jason faulkner they're amazing musicians and i'm so excited to work with them you know they work with beck and radiohead and all this stuff mm -hmm. and um so i uh we do like one take of the very first song and it was you know we we, we were still figuring out what the song was but we go into the control room just to have a listen back and as we're listening this door opens to the control room and this head pops in and goes oh sorry and uh everyone looks at each other and he kind of keeps going down the hall everyone looks at each other like that was that was paul fucking mccartney oh it's going you know and and luckily the engineer that we were working with had worked with paul before on another record so daryl goes and he goes oh it's like sir paul you know hey it's you know daryl we work together and paul's like oh yeah you know so he comes in and kind of catches up and it turned out paul had met most of the people in the room before so that was like a great icebreaker and uh and he's like you know and they're like oh yeah we're working with this songwriter from canada um and so i got to tell him that my older son's name is jude and you know why and i mean he knows why um and uh just a you know crazy special interaction he listens to, we, we play him the first you know take of the song and it was it wasn't like the song was realized it was like brand new just a couple ideas thrown in and uh he excuses himself he was there for maybe 20 25 minutes and everyone's like wow. oh my god paul mccartney's here i'm texting my mom and my dad like oh my god i just met paul mccartney crazy and then like an hour later i pop out to go get a coffee and i'm coming back into the east west studio on sunset boulevard and um just as i'm leaving paul or just as I'm arriving, I should say, Paul is leaving. He's he's coming out as I'm going in. And it's like this happenstance second, you know, uh, meeting. And he goes, oh, it's you. He's uh, been thinking about your song. And I'm like, come on. You, like, this is just insane. Um, and we have a chat for a minute. And I mentioned that I had worked with Dave Grohl on something. So I know that he's kind of tight with Dave Grohl. And, you know, we had a, a just a nice little chat. And he mentioned that, he thought that the song would, you know, benefit from um, uh, two sweet cellos and uh, 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 was it two sweet cellos and uh, and a piano drone. He wanted to hear a piano drone on it. And so I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, we'll try that out. Um, and then as I'm going into the studio, and I'm just like glowing because like I had a second interaction one on one with Paul, and he told me that he was thinking about my song. Um, and one of the interns there had taken a photo of the um, CCTV, the, the, the security camera yeah, yeah. that was pointed right at the door where I ran into him. So I would never ask him for a picture. Like, it's just, 
I, I think I, I, I'm pretty sure that he's publicly said like he doesn't like doing selfies. And I just, I, I, it's not my style. I like, you know, every, I've, anytime I've met a famous person afterwards, I'm like, ah, it would have been cool to have a picture, but it's fine. Um, I just can't do it. I just can't bring myself to ask for it. Um, so I didn't, but I got this completely candid photo of me and Paul McCartney kind of chatting away on the security camera, which is amazing. That's awesome. So then, of course, I sent that to my parents, and they loved that. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Of course, that of belongs course, on TikTok, I think. Um, it is on TikTok. Yeah. There you go. If Dad, just give me a second. You dropped the name here. Let me pick it up. Dave Grohl. Hold on. <laughs> pick that. Pick that name up. Uh, you've worked with what? What work did you uh, or are you doing with Dave? I were I, I did the soundtrack for a Simon Pegg film called uh, Hector and the Search for Happiness with my buddy Jesse Zubat, and the director is a guy named Peter Chelston, whose kids go to the same school as Dave Grohl in in Los Angeles. And um, so as we were finishing the film, um, I had this song that I wanted to put over the credits, and the director really liked it. So we we went to L.A. I went to L.A. and we went to Dave Grohl's house, and we showed him this rough cut of the movie. Uh, and he's like the sweetest guy, really, really nice guy. I mean, as you can imagine, everyone says the same thing about Dave. He's very human, very normal, very, very sweet. And um, he watches the film and um, he's like, great. So what do you want me to do? And we're like, okay, well, we got this song. And I played him, I played, recorded the bed tracks of this song with my band in, in Vancouver as drums and, you know, and um, he's like, cool. Well, you got to let me play drums on this. And I... I was so wrapped up. I, you know, like I loved the bed track that we'd already recorded and I was worried about, you know, hurting the feelings of my drummer that I had at the time. And I turned him down. I was like, you know, we've already done, I don't think we can do that. It's just like looking back, it's like the stupidest thing I've done in my whole life. I said no to having Nirvana's drummer play drums on my song, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and he's like, well, you know, I, I, whatever, I'll, I'll sing on it, you know, so we, I, I give him the, the tracks and he tracks some guitar and tracks some, some vocals. And so the song is called Vessel. It's on my record, Club Meds. And if you listen closely on the chorus, there's this like, stop, wait, uh, and me. And that's Dave Grohl wailing away. Um, so yeah, he's on the, he's on the song. We put it on the credits, put it on the record, but Foo Fighters had a record coming out that year and his management was like, okay, here's the deal. Dave's going to be on your song, but you can't use him in any of your promo. You can't put it in the bio. Mm -hmm. You can't put it in the, the press release, put it in the liner notes, but you know, you can't use his name to promote the record. So I was like, well, fair enough. You know, but, Cause, Cause you turned him down and on drums. Well, the funny thing <laughs> is that if I had, if I had said yes, if I'd have been like, yeah, yeah, of course you can play drums. Let's do it. We just would have, I, I, I would have gone back down to LA. We would have booked a day in his studio. We would have spent a day hanging out, tracking, recording together. Probably would have gone to lunch, would have cracked jokes. And we would have been friends, you know? That's that's how I see it in my head anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and um, as it is, you know, he was... He was very, I mean, he was doing his friend Peter a, a favor, you know, it wasn't about me. But as it stands now, you know, like, uh, I'll, I reach out to him and I've, I've got Dave's contact, but, yeah, you know, very seldom gets back to me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I'm when I'm going to LA, I'll reach out and be like, oh, this is what I'm doing or whatever. And sometimes he'll say, oh, no, I'm just kidding, you know, I'm doing something else. But 
off the top of yeah. But it, 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 it is this, when I look back at these moments where I made a decision that truthfully was based in loyalty to my existing drummer yeah. and, you know, integrity of the song. Like I had my reasons. Um, but if I had been not wearing my artist hat and wearing my sort of like, you know, I don't know, life ambition hat or something like that, it would be pretty cool if I had spent a day tracking drums with Dave, you know, that would yeah, you, really you still special. had him on doing vocals and some guitar. I mean, that's pretty special. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And, you know, I got a good story out of it. And yeah, honestly, he's a sweetheart. If I, if I ever meet him again, you know, we can laugh about how I turned him down to play drums on my song. So are you allowed to even tell this story? Yeah. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> it, that, 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 that record was put out eight years ago. Yeah. All right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's old news. And I, an I, awesome I, I was, <laughs> and I was able to tell the story at the time, like when, when people yeah. asked about it, like it was mentioned, you know, um, but uh, cause people found his name in the liner notes. So like, what's up with that? We just couldn't put it, like it just couldn't be yeah, the forefront of the, yeah, of the yeah. album promo. That's sure. all. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Dan, as, as we near the end uh, of this episode, and by the way, thank you so much for your time. And yes. uh, this has been really amazing chat. Um, we have a segment called Lost Venues. Mm. And we'd love for you to tell us about a venue that you've got um some horror stories maybe uh some amazing memories maybe uh but the venue doesn't is, exist anymore i'm curious if you have a a lost venue in mind totally so um there was a venue in vancouver called the media club and uh it was like uh small maybe held 130 people or so um but it's where i played like my first i mean i would say like probably 12 of my first 20 shows I ever played were at mm -hmm. the media club. My first show I ever got paid for, I got paid $30 to be the first of five acts at the media club. So, you know, I probably played for like 20 minutes or something like that. Um, I was over the moon. Like the idea that someone paid me a dollar to play music was like amazing. You know, I was 19 or 18 or something like that. Um, and it was great. I remember my first sold out show at the media club felt like, wow. Cause up until that point, like when I played a show, I knew everyone in the audience. Like, it's just, you invite all your university buddies and your high school buddies and your parents and their friends and all the people you work with at the restaurant. Like, that's just how you, that's what you do in the beginning. You invite everyone, you know, and then I remember looking out at the crowd at the media club being like i think i only know like 30 percent of the people here and it was like clearly there were other people that i did not know who had paid to be at the show hmm. and i was like this is amazing you know um many memories at that and there, there was a sound tech there named sean who went by the nickname trouble um and uh i remember alana who booked the joint uh yeah i just i, I got to know the bar staff there and I remember seeing Julie Dwyer run there for like the first time I ever saw her play. She's amazing. Yeah, it was just tons of memories. I remember actually speaking of Mother Mother, I played first of four at the at the media club with Mother Mother, but at the time they were just called Mother. Uh, there was oh. the, for the first like couple of years they were a band. They were just called Mother, 
And then there was another band called Mother, so they named themselves Mother Mother um, to try and differentiate. But their first record, their first record was put out as Mother, and then it was re-released as Mother Mother eventually once they like got signed. I had no idea. Like I had no idea. Um, so on that bill was myself. I think I was like the first of four, and then it was a band called Lotus Child. Um, which is Zach and Zach Gray and Tom Dobransky, who later formed the Zolas, who you guys may know of. Yeah. Um, and then there was a band called Castle Project. I don't know what's going on with them. And then Mother was headlining that night. That was the first night I met those guys. Um, yeah, there's so much history. Vancouver had a moment, like, it was a bunch of bands kind of all coming up at the same time, Said the Whale and Hannah Georges and Hey Ocean and Mother Mother. Um, Everyone knew each other, you know, there was, mm-hmm. people were dating each other. It was just like a, it was a, a bit of a, a moment in the scene. That's cool. That's very cool. Um, I have one quick question that before we wrap it up, I'd like to ask our guests before we finish is what, what are you listening to lately? What's in your headphones that you got on right now? Not that you have oh, man. right now. What are you listening to that people should check out? I, the other day heard for the first time, this artist Dijon. Do you like Dijon? Like it's like the mustard. Yeah. Don't know if you know him. No. He's from he's from Baltimore. I think he might be in LA now. Um, he's incredible. Incredible. Um, there's like a, a film, a short film. It's like half an hour long. It's like a performance film of him performing with his band in this like kind of set somewhere. But is the record's called Absolutely. Um, I think it's just phenomenal he's incredible i barely listened to the record i mostly just watched this performance like five times because it's just so alive and interesting and artfully done so yeah can't recommend that enough and then but there's lots of man there's so many great songwriters happening right now young people um and uh, a guy from winnipeg that goes by the secret beach begonia from winnipeg she's incredible Leith Ross also lives in Winnipeg right now. Uh, Field Guide also from Winnipeg. Uh, my buddy Noble Son here in Vancouver. Um, big fan of um, Sam Tudor, uh, who I think is in Toronto, but is from BC. Um, there's a lot of really talented, amazing musicians kind of on their way up. And I, awesome. I think I, I think Begonia, she's got the goods. Like she could she could be massive she could be selling out arenas like no problem if if it if 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 the way goes how it should she's got the full pop package it's just incredible her voice is like no one else fantastic thank you for sharing those yeah pleasure guys one that is chat awesome with you. yeah thank dan thank you so much for this this has been uh, a treat uh, if people want to find more of your music, uh, where's it? Maybe if you're touring in their backyard, where's the best place yeah. for them? A few things. Um, you can hit my website, which is danmanganmusic.com. Of course, I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter and TikTok with the same handle, danmanganmusic. You can also text me if you're in North America at 310 347 4597. Uh, and if you do that, I will send you a ping when we book a show near you. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where you find me. I do, I, I do have a, a, a sub stack too that I, I have a pretty tight knit community on there that I keep in touch with. 
Uh, I do a lot of AMA and do some guitar tutorials and post demos of new songs and stuff like that. Awesome. awesome. Dan, thank you so much. It's been yes, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Nice Take to meet care. you. Have a good one.